So I'm thinking as an opening question, and let me know what you think about this, to kind of kick things off. I was going to ask you, Dave, how it compares to the book, like yeah. how, how it kind of stacks up to the book. So then... Why wouldn't you ask Tony that? <laughs> <laughs> I would say that I haven't read it either. <laughs> <laughs> and I never will. Um, he never learned to read. No. Hello and welcome to another spectacular edition of the Little Film Podcast. My name's Adam and with me tonight we've got Ollie, Ready, Dave, Player, and Tony. One is also ready. (laughs) (laughs) You've kind of given it away with that hilarious intro, but what are we talking about tonight? Ready Player One. Now Tony, you've watched this movie, have you? Yes, first one I've watched for a while. On the uh, roster, if you like. Yeah, it's the first time he's done an episode with us for a while, isn't it? He just swans back in here, thinks he can pick up where he left off. Mm. The arrogance of the man is mm. yeah. staggering. Mm. Do you want to talk us through your cinema experience for Ready Player One, Tony? Uh, yeah. Uh, Cine World, St. Helier, Jersey. Screen 7. <laughs> uh, you can tell it's yeah, been out for a while, can't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. Uh, there was no one else in the cinema, just me. Was it yeah. literally just you? Yeah, there were like three other people. I, I, I watched it yesterday at the Mallard. And it, it literally was just me. I went to the four o'clock showing on a Monday <laughs> afternoon. I had the place to myself. I, I had to go and ask them to press play because they didn't realise anyone was there. So, That's uh, extraordinary. So as always, we should probably say first of all that there are going to be spoilers. Big spoilers coming up. So if you haven't seen the movie, you might want to watch it before you listen to this. We've all seen it then, and hopefully everyone listening has seen it, but shall I give you a a, a quick synopsis just to uh, refresh everyone's memory? Please do. Thanks for your permission, Dave. (laughs) Uh, This comes from a website called Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, In the year 2045, people can escape their harsh reality in the Oasis, an immersive virtual world where you can go anywhere, do anything, be anyone. The only limits are your own imagination. Oasis creator James Halliday left his immense fortune and control of the Oasis to the winner of a contest designed to find a worthy heir. When unlikely hero Wade Watts conquers the first challenge of the reality-bending treasure hunt, he and his friends, known as the High Five, are hurled into a fantastical universe of discovery and danger to save the Oasis and their world. Uh, This, of course, is directed by Steven Spielberg, starring Ty Sheridan... Mark Rylance and others. It's very much Sheridan, Rylance, Spielberg <laughs> together at last uh, is how I describe this movie. Um, has anyone got up the uh, the scores on Rotten Tomatoes and IMDb and stuff like that to give people a, a, a sense of what critics have been saying? Ollie, looks like you've got them there. Uh, yep, uh, Rotten Tomatoes seventy four percent, Metacritic sixty four percent, and IMDb seven point nine. It's interesting, it's a bit lower on uh, on Metacritic. Uh, well, that's what critics have been saying, but who really cares about that? People have come here to to find out what we think. So let's have the scores on the doors. Where shall I start? Tony. Four. Ooh. Dave. 7.5. Ooh. Wow. Big disagreement so far. Mm. Ollie. Eight. Wow. 
And you, Adam? 5.5. That's interesting. Again, similar to uh, Annihilation, we've got a real spread of scores here. A real range. Now, can I ask you, Tony, you've given it four. Ollie, what did you say, eight? Uh, Eight, yeah. For both of you, did you come in expecting the rest of us to be similar to what you'd given it? Or did you think that... Some you know that some would have liked it, some would have hated it. I thought we'd all been around the same. I've got to be honest. Yeah, I thought everyone would be, everyone would have enjoyed it as much as I. Did. I didn't think we'd see an eight. I thought we'd maybe get as high as a seven. <laughs> 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 well, that's interesting. So uh, let, let's uh, let's let's get into it a bit, shall we? Of course, we haven't said that this is this is based on a novel by Ernest Cline, and a screenplay written or co-written by him as well. A novel from twenty eleven. Now, Dave and I have both read the book. Tony and Ollie don't read books. <laughs> Can't read, I think, actually. Uh, I've read a book in the last year, so... <laughs> don't need to read, you. so... This is a man whose New Year's resolution a few years ago was to read a book a week, <laughs> uh, which he changed to to read a book. Which I have... And still failed. <laughs> yeah, which I have achieved now, so... Well, thanks. three years later, but yeah. Thanks for asking. Um, but yeah, Dave and I, we both read the book. Dave, you enjoyed the book, didn't you? So how how... How did you think the film stacked up? You're giving it a 7.5. Did you uh, think it, it did the book justice? Yeah, so I think it didn't quite do the book justice. So the book, I should say, is one of my like favourite novels, like sort of a top fiver. I thought it was brilliant, like littered with pop culture references, much in the same way that the film is. But I think that the book is probably a bit geekier. And so uh, I really love like the overt nerdiness of the book and so when i heard they were turning into a film i was initially like i have no idea how they're going to do that with the sort of geeky sections and what they've actually done is they've just removed those and replaced them with big blockbuster spectacle instead and i think um while that was brilliant and it's why i've given it a sort of seven and a half because i i really enjoyed it i think there was like a few elements that were missing for me from the book. I'd say that I really enjoyed the film. Obviously, I gave it a 7.5. I think there were two things in particular that I struggled with. One was I found it very difficult when the reaction to the how like the housing project blowing up in real life was very strange in the film. Like no one actually had a particularly emotional response. I think the character came round like Wade Watts after the explosion and was like, "Oh, brilliant! I've met my like on you know my virtual reality girlfriend." And not uh, my auntie and all my neighbours have just died. My, um, my auntie, my neighbours, and Finchie from the office are all, <laughs> yeah, are all yeah. dead. That was one of my favourite moments when I uh, yeah. clocked him. Lager yeah. sometimes cider. So. <laughs> and what was your other? Your uh, other and my other thing was it didn't make enough of the point in the book. At the end, it's um, quite clear that it's suggesting people should spend a lot more time in the real world. Um, than the virtual world, whereas this felt like it was much more a celebration of the Oasis and actually I didn't feel like at the end of the film there was any sort of lesson to be learnt. It was like, ah, oh, brilliant, now we've got control. We can all just go back into the Oasis and, and have a really cool Yeah, time. although I would say that they, they try and shoehorn that in a bit. I agree with you that the novel ultimately is trying to say people should unplug and, and not live their lives online. Mm. And, and the, the book was written in 2011, is yeah. that right? Or came out in 2011. 2011. Yeah. So, and the last line of the book is, I think, I don't know if this is word for word, but the last line is, for the first time I could remember I had no desire to go back into the Oasis. And I agree, the film doesn't do anything of that at all until literally the final scene where they say, oh, and yeah, one of the things we did was shut it down on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Because, you know, we think people shouldn't spend so much time in it. Yeah, it was very abrupt and mm. didn't really fit with the rest of the message of the film. 
Do you think that's because, not necessarily with the gaming thing, but just generally since 2011, people spend so much more time on the internet and on social media these days, and also like businesses, brands, companies, like are so dependent on those platforms that the idea of shutting those off just seems implausible because of... Do you know, like, do you know he, what I mean? Back he, then, like, maybe they didn't. he didn't anticipate that that would happen as much I, as it I, has. Because equally, though, there's, there's also maybe more of a backlash now to things like social media and, and against e-books. You know, there's a resurgence in, in paper books. And I don't know, I think there's now more of a movement of people trying to unplug than perhaps it would have been even in 2011. But the whole, like, the whole thing of the book is that the real world is falling apart because everyone's spending all their lives on the Oasis. And you kind of get some sense of that, but it's not explored in anything like the same way in the film. What did you think then as a comparison with the book? Before we do too much, this was better in the book and this wasn't better in the book. What did you think? So I think there's always a huge challenge when you try and translate a book to the screen. And some books are more suited to it than others and where you can run into trouble I think is when with a particular type of book where it's written from a kind of tight first person perspective like Ready Player One is it's all from Wade's perspective there's a lot of inner monologue like there's a lot of Wade just thinking and you're just sort of reading his thoughts and I think the film suffers quite a lot from them trying to deal with that because it's very heavy on exposition the first 15 minutes of the movie (laughs) is basically just wade explaining the oasis it's i mean it may as well be basil exposition from austin powers he's he's just (laughs) telling you for 15 minutes how this world works it it is very clunky and yeah Yeah. uh, that that i thought didn't work at all and that's that's a problem that's come out of the way the book is written and that that's one area where it really suffers in comparison, I think. And what did you make? Because something that you, uh, Ollie and Tone, won't know is that basically the quests that are in the film are, other than the last one, which is more similar, are very are completely different essentially mm. to the quests that are in the book. Um, so, what did you make of the the changes there? Well, some of them they probably they, they just simply couldn't have done. Like, for example, one of the quests in the book, he has to, he turns himself into an avatar of Matthew Broderick and has to act out word for word, scene by scene, the film War Games. (laughs) (laughs) They just couldn't have done that with Matthew Broderick from the 1980s. So there are some things that they simply had to do. And I guess otherwise it was trying to make it more cinematic. I, I, I thought that was fine. Also, I read this book like six years ago. There are only a few moments where I thought, I'm pretty sure that's not what it was in the book. I can't, I can't remember every single aspect of it, but I thought that worked okay, but where, where it then suffered as a result of that is that some of the things that they couldn't really skim over or like the, the, the elements of the book that they couldn't skim over, you know, they, they couldn't like leave out those quests. They couldn't leave out the kind of uh, exciting action bits from the book. You know, they, they've changed them, but they've had to leave that sort of those elements of it in place. But in trying to sort of compress this quite long, actually quite sort of sprawling novel that has lots of different things going on, into two hours 20 minutes they've then had to leave out a lot of other stuff which i'm talking a lot so maybe we can get into it in a bit but there's things missing from this film that i think cause it problems tone you were not keen by the sounds of things four out of ten it's a much worse score than you gave to last jedi for example yeah well i'm i much i enjoyed last jedi a lot more i have to say uh yeah i mean at two hours 20 it's at least 
40 minutes too long, I would say. Uh, the ending, which you've mentioned there, where they literally say reality is better than virtual reality. Mm-hmm. That's like the closing line of the film. And it's like, well, you've literally just <laughs> yeah. battered us with, say, 70% of the film is a cutscene from a video game, which... Uh, you know, and they're I'm, having a whale of a time as well. Like, there's no sense really of why yeah, that should but, be. The, but also, yeah. if that's, yeah, that that's probably is true. That's probably the, the, the sentiment that I would share. Uh, so, you know, on that basis, I'd have seen, I'd have rather seen much more of the like real life action rather than the stuff from inside the Oasis. Now, actually, at the start of the film, I really liked the first, well, I have to really liked, I enjoyed the first uh, major like action sequence, the chase, the first quest. The car thought, chase. Yeah, I thought it was quite cool. And actually, I f- from like the few things I'd seen uh, before, I was expecting it. I was expecting not to like the really like busy kind of overloading stuff. But I actually quite like that scene and, and the way he completes the quest. I thought was was quite cool, and the, the way that came together visually worked really well. The other two quests I just thought were nonsense. The shining thing was awful, and I just thought the whole thing, the the way the thing was so kind of reliant but in a really shallow and like unsatisfying way on just like references to this that and the other i just i was i was bored of i was completely bored of the the references and the uh the nods to kind of like 80s pop culture and i don't really know who it's for because uh, you, you know some of the, the references perhaps would be a, you know a, for people a little bit older than us but i can't see people older than us enjoying watching a film like that one one of the negatives of the film was the actual whole section with The Shining. I, I felt like it was a bit out of place. And the reason was that all the other references, I guess, in the film were all like films or games or TV shows, whatever, which I guess appeal to everyone. So you've got like Jurassic Park, for example, Iron Giant, Back, um, to, the Back to the Future, like Halo, the video game. Like it's, like, exactly. it's, it's, it's so yeah. broad. But... If you're a 12-year-old going to watch it and you go through the Shining se- section, not only is it actually quite creepy and scary, but it just completely go over the head. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, it's it just felt quite out of place because it was like this... It, it Like, The Shining is a, is a brilliant film, but it's also a very, like, psychologically testing and unnerving and scary film as well. And I just don't think it fitted into the mould that was set by the rest of the film. But I think also The Shining is one of the most famous horror films of all time. And I think all the references that they've got, well, as many of the references as they've got in the film as possible, they tried to take from the 80s. Like Spielberg, for example, I, I believe wasn't entirely happy about using the Jurassic Park dinosaur. Firstly, because it was one of his films, but also he said it was kind of okay because it came from the 90s. So he didn't want to reference things like Indiana Jones in it i think like to your point about who the pop pop culture references are for i think they're for people of our generation and above that's what the whole book is about yeah and i think that without having read the book i I can easily see how that would work in the book and appeal to people who'd read that book but i don't really get how it who this film is appealing to that's probably my biggest criticism of it actually is i'm not sure who it's for it feels like it's falling between something that's sort of squarely aimed at 12 year old boys like a kind of action adventure and again that kind of exposition that's the 15 minutes at the start it, you get that in films that are aimed at 12 year old boys and that's fine but if it's a film aimed at grown-ups you wouldn't necessarily have it done like that and like you say the bit with the shining there's like a chucky reference there's an f word in there isn't there? like it's not really a film that it doesn't seem like it is aimed at 12 year old boys mm. so who is it for but i think to that point we're 30 31 year old men where the references are relevant to us 
which is why I really enjoyed it. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe that's why it's not been quite as successful in America as I think perhaps they thought it was going to be. But I, I remember that when the Chucky scene happened, I literally laughed out loud in the cinema. I thought it was brilliant. That I, was quite a good bit. I agree. But, but that, that's what I mean, though, is that if, for anyone to be old enough to get those references, it's not a film. It doesn't yeah, seem like it's film not been made itself doesn't, doesn't to land appeal to your yeah. demographic. Yeah. But it helps with, I think, parents taking that potential demographic along to it because they can sit there and go, oh, yeah, the Iron Giant sticking his thumb out as he goes into the lava, that's Terminator 2. And they can have a little nod and a giggle to themselves, maybe not out loud. It's not laugh out loud funny. But the children will probably just enjoy it for being an action adventure. Like, what's the difference for them in seeing like a CGI war between pop culture references that they don't necessarily get and orcs and soldiers? As long as they know there's good guys and bad guys, it, there's no real difference. For me, like, I gave it obviously quite a high score of eight. And... I really did spend the entire film just sat there kind of grinning and smiling to myself because it was just full of stuff that I love. And like, it was so cool just, you know, spot the pop culture reference, like spot the Easter egg. Like I found that really fun. Like you'd be watching a scene and something pop up and you suddenly remember that as a kid and something else would pop up and you remember that. And it, I just, I really, really enjoyed that. And I genuinely can't think of in recent times having more fun in a film at the cinema than I did watching Ready Player One. Well, I'd actually say the opposite. (laughs) (laughs) Genuinely, like the battle sequence towards the end, I was so bored. Which one? What when? I'd say like the major one where there's... Where they bring down that shield. Yeah, where this force field goes up. And then all the avatars arrive and they just like, they're just shooting stuff and throwing stuff. And it's just, that was... Yeah, it's obviously a very busy thing, but it, it was just utterly pointless as far as I was concerned. It was, it was, it was so deathly boring. So this is my other biggest criticism of the film. I know I've already said several, but is uh, the lack of jeopardy in the in this virtual world. Who really cares about these avatars being killed? Like, there's so even in something like the the car race at the start, I found it very hard to get invested in it. You know, it didn't have that kind of like breathless tension that you'd get in a real world car chase because you just think well if they crash and in inverted commas die or zero out whatever it's called like that didn't have there was not enough stakes there for me to care and the same in the battle at the end like all these avatars just getting blown to pieces or whatever well you know it doesn't doesn't matter i actually disagree with you on the car chase only and in terms of like pop culture references and being and like kind of being reminiscent of what it was like playing video games as a child is actually playing those sort of games where the further you get and you're, you're kind of you're trying to complete something, but you 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 know you you can't get past a certain bit, and then you get past a certain bit, and you, the sort of the nerves of it where you're like, <laughs> I just don't want to mess up now. Yeah, I, know I really got that in the car chase where they were like, you know, no one's ever got beyond this bit. Mm-hmm. So that actually that did sort of strike a note with me. I can see that, and like like you know, you get to like the deep into the shadow temple on zelda or something (laughs) i really don't want to go back to the start yeah exactly but But that's fine when you're the one playing it but when you're effectively watching someone else play a video game you know i i I don't quite have that same investment i think um so i watched it with mimi my fiance i think like something i said to her was in my imagination the oasis and virtual reality world was a lot closer to real life mm. as well like as i read it off the page whereas when in i terms watched of what it, it looks like yeah i wasn't yeah. expecting it to look quite so 
CGI, as I think Tony described it, like a cutscene from a video game. I think that's probably good. What I would say, I just want to go back to this point about the pop culture references, because I did watch it with Mimi, and she absolutely loved the film. And she probably got about sort of 50% of the pop culture references that I did. In fairness to her, that's probably because she's had... <laughs> you were chalking them up. She's probably had more of a more of a life outside of the cinema than I have. Dave's just sat there digging her in the ribs. Do you get that one? Get that one. Did you get that one, did you? Um, Do you recognise that? But that's the thing. Like, she she really enjoyed the film. That's Batman. But without... <laughs> she got the Batman one. Just, just uh, without necessarily having the context of where everything comes from. And she's never seen The Shining and found that bit really scary and thrilling. Did you, What did she think was going on, though, when it... Well, she saw yeah. what, what, what was going on in the film. <laughs> yeah, As in, you know, someone going to a lift and opening up and a load of blood coming out. Like, that's new news to her. You know, little girls leading a guy down a corridor. It's new news to her. Uh, a guy throwing, like, an axe, you know, going into that, like, ice cave and stuff. All of that is is new. And so, you know, maybe it's another way of just opening up as well some of these older films to new audiences. Just pick up on what you're saying about the, the actual, the way the uh, Oasis is portrayed. I wonder, in the book, did it, is it kind of painted to be more like Second Life? Do you remember the, the game? Because that would have been quite popular at the time, right? And that was, I never played it, but I've seen sort of stills or you know, pictures. It's quite sort of rooted in, it's more like Sims, Reality. isn't it, I think? Yeah. Whereas this was quite sort of like, I don't know, like the, the bits where they were like dancing in the sky or in the air and stuff. As I remember it, it's definitely portrayed that it's this kind of fantastical place where you can do whatever you want and they go from sort of planet to planet and... Yeah, it's this sort of fantasy world. But I think we're meant to believe that it effectively looks like reality. It doesn't look like you're in World of Warcraft or whatever. It looks it looks real. And that was a little bit jarring to me at first. I was like, oh, okay, I didn't expect it to look like that. And that's one of the reasons why I found it hard to get sort of emotionally involved in it. Because I say, I, I didn't, you know, what's the worst that can happen in that car chase or in in the battle at the end. And um, w- one reason why I think it did work better in the book is because there was more stuff in the real world and there was more of a sense of the stakes in the real world. And I know there was a bit of that in this, particularly towards the end. And, you know, um, Ben Mendelssohn running around with a gun and stuff coming coming after them in the van. But that I feel like in the book that was more throughout. You had a sense of what could go wrong in the real world. And like you say, when his aunt and all his neighbours are killed. Like, he doesn't care, <laughs> let alone us. I think if they'd done a bit more in the real world, I might have cared more. It was funny, when I was watching it, there are a few points where I thought the actual Oasis itself and the some of the spectacular set pieces, the animation was superb. When it came to the like, character bits, there are a few times where I've, I just felt look, like it look, looked a little naff, like the actual character animation and mainly the main characters but then on hindsight what i thought was well maybe because i was thinking when i think of animation now all i can think of is um the most recent planet of the apes film because the cgi in that is absolutely unbelievable i kept thinking i always compare cgi now to that but on hindsight what i was thinking was it's not depicting it's not trying to depict that kind of animation as in it's it's meant to be a video game where maybe the animation isn't so good they, or as as lifelike as something like Plant the Apes. I still think Ocarina of Time looks amazing. So <laughs> I'm a bit behind. But they also make a point right at the start of the film. He's like, you could be anything in this world. You could be like a real person or like someone out of a film or a cartoon. Like you do have that 
that choice, which is probably why it went for quite a computer gamey mm. feel. Can I ask, uh, what was everyone's favourite culture reference or Easter egg? Did, you, did anyone have a particular one? There must know. have been one where you're like, oh yeah, I really like that. That's cool. I I don't know that because I. Is it just, I love geeky stuff, so maybe that's why I did... Nerd alert, uh, yeah. possibly. Oh, yeah. Well, I know I don't. We, you said at the start, let's talk about the book now so we don't have to keep talking about the book, just to talk about the book again. I really, really enjoyed the book, but I did, in, even in that, I found the pop culture references a bit over the top, or just like, after a little while, it's like, okay, we get it. In this as well, I, like, I don't think there's anything in itself that impressive about a reference to something, and this is something that uh, the TV show Family Guy suffers from where these days where they just kind of reference things and there's no actual joke. And in Ready Player One as well, it's like, oh yeah, you can just look through and sort of, oh, that's the thing from Akira. Oh, that's Godzilla. It's like, I, I, I didn't get that much pleasure out of that. But then but a lot like of this stuff, things, is a lot... <laughs> <laughs> getting, very, getting very angry. Stop jabbing your finger at me, Ollie. Um <laughs> Sorry. No, this is true. It, like, I, I might have enjoyed it more if it had been more references to things that I actually love. The Wombles. <laughs> exactly, yeah. But I think Adam's right, though. You can't, like, references can't replace plot and, like, I, actual I, stuff. I do want to say, though, that the film is essentially about them uncovering Easter eggs. Like, that is the plot. The plot is about them uncovering Easter eggs within a world that is riddled with pop culture and trying to find those Easter eggs that are most meaningful to the guy who created the world. So it is the plot that it has no, to have all of these pop culture references. That is a good point. And, and it's yeah. what the whole thing is built around. And Ernest Klein, when he wrote the book, wrote it because he was like, I'm just going to write a book about everything that I love and totally geek out because he had previously written a film and it had been adapted by other writers and turned into something that he didn't like. I think it was called Fanboys. So he was like, I don't want to write films anymore. I want to write novels. I can just write whatever I want. It's fair to criticise it in a way because it's a part of the film that you don't enjoy, but in other ways it is what the film is about. I think that's a fair point. I, I just think, it, as I said at the start, there, in compressing this book into a novel, but so still having to have all those action sequences and still having to have all the pop culture references or as many as they possibly can, it possibly missed out some of the things that it really needed, like, for example, more stuff in the real world to give some sense of the stakes. Also the characterization. I'm not sure we really get that much uh, development of Wade. He falls in love with Artemis incredibly quickly. I don't know. I, I, I found it hard to care about their relationship and maybe we could have just spent a bit more time with those sorts of things rather than an endless stream of references i, d I don't want to dive too much into the performances in the film as a whole but that was one of the other negatives of the film for me um was just the guy playing wade like i didn't really think he was that great and as a protagonist as the lead in the film there are some really quite ropey bits um I don't know, I just didn't feel like I felt or believed him or believed for him enough. Like, I just didn't get enough from his performance. I thought the rest of the cast were really good on a whole. But just with Ty Sheridan, I just wasn't that bowled over by him. I feel like this is where we should reference a thing which uh, Patrick and I talk about quite a lot, which is uh, Spielbergian sort of heroes in his blockbusters. So I think this is a theme throughout all of them and not necessarily something that you would call a negative 
in the other ones, but perhaps in this one a bit more so. So things like Jaws, where you've got like Chief Brody and he's just like your boring run of the mill guy. Jurassic Park, you know, Alan Grant is not the most exciting guy in the world. I haven't had a Jurassic Park, do you? <laughs> yeah, you should watch it. It's a 10 out of 10 film. Okay. Maybe the only one in the world. Um, even, you know, even his later things like Minority Report, War Horse, like, no, you know, none of the characters in any of these things are particularly memorable other than you would say like Indiana Jones. I think he just, I think he focuses more on the story and what the audience will take out than he necessarily does on the characters that sit within that. I think that was quite clear in this film. Ben Mendelsohn, I think, is a really good mm. um, one to point out because I think he's a brilliant actor and he's an amazing bad guy. And I was really excited when I heard he was going to be the villain in this, but doesn't really deliver because there's not enough of those scenes, as we were saying, outside of the virtual reality world where you get a sense of, what drives his character. And when he picked up a gun at the end, I wasn't really convinced in the same way that I was with the book that he was that kind of a bad guy. Have you read the book, Tim? No. I haven't read he's, the book. He's, no, he's, I, he's reading it now. I, I, felt I, bad, I felt bad with the book yeah. reference there. Yeah, I do think that there wasn't quite enough. Yeah, I was using the word jeopardy, but like that, you know, what would happen if, uh, if what are they called? IOA? IOI. IOI. If IOI got hold of Oasis and all that stuff, uh, they were just going to put some ads on, on the, the display. I don't know. Like I didn't. I didn't really get the sense that that what was going to happen if they. I, I suppose that would be quite annoying. Yeah, but it would be very annoying. And I suppose actually to yeah yeah having said that to the guy who created it, who's obviously so like, de- you know, it would have been so deliberate in what he want. Yeah. So anyway, I retract that point. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, I, no, I don't know. I was just, I was just slightly disappointed. I think I'd probably rather. We'll probably come on to Spielberg in a minute, but I'd rather see Spielberg doing more of the the posts and that sort of stuff now than I don't know whether I he's heartily lost, disagree whether he's lost his touch on the uh, the big ticket blockbusters. Talk about Spielberg now. Why not? I just can I just have quickly mentioned Mark Rylance. No, uh, no, <laughs> <laughs> uh, only because like obviously. So he's basically. It's only recently that he's really started acting in films. He's never wanted to do it. And it seems that Spielberg has been the one who's been able to sort of change his mind and bring him on to the big screen. You mean because he was a theatre actor before, not because he was just some bloke? But every time I watch him, I just find he's like just amazing. I just feel he like melts off the screen. Like he's just, he's so immersive and like I completely believe him as a character. Everything I've seen in him and again in this, I just really enjoyed his like very like quirky, kooky performance which i hadn't seen before in his other roles but i just thought he played it really well yeah he is a very good actor i thought he was very good i thought him as a like 30 year old or whatever it was a little bit stretching <laughs> credibility yeah. <laughs> possibly but but he is yeah he's he's, a fantastic I think he's good in it i don't I mean I, I think yeah i preferred him in uh, bridge of spies and yeah. we're going to talk about spielberg in a second but just one other very minor point that annoyed me in the film and I, i'm interested to know what the entire of this is as we've uh, pointed out a few times you haven't read the book um <laughs> One thing that don't rub it in bothered me throughout the first half was H's voice, H as in Wade's friend. To me, it was so obviously a woman's voice that had been sort of modulated lower or whatever. And, and obviously, I'd read the book, so I knew that H would turn out to be a woman. But it's quite a, although you can sort of see it coming, it's still like quite a big revelation in in the book. I came into the film knowing that, so it was like really obvious to me that it was a woman's voice and I felt it was sort of giving the game away a bit, but I don't know if you picked I, up on that. I as, must admit, I didn't, I didn't really twig that it was a girl until the reveal. I I did think the whole time 
why has H got such a weird voice? But I didn't think it would be a woman. Yeah, I, I didn't really think about it, to be honest. I, I mean, the the way it's kind of like, oh, you know, pe- people online might not be who they say they are. It's like, it's not, you know, it's not exactly rocket science, is it? So and the fact that they all were different except for the one he falls in love with. Yeah, and also they're, they're again, in the book, I think it's... They're both, like, overweight, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, you know, it's like a... I mean, they both look almost exactly the same, don't they, in in the film as their, as their avatar. Well, and she's also like, oh, God, don't look at me, I'm hideous. It's like... She's yeah, got a birthmark. Birth. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's it. I don't know. I thought the uh, the casting of Irock, the the main game villain, was quite funny because when you first saw him, he's like this enormous, scary, intimidating like monster game boss, and it's voiced by T.J. Miller. I actually it just turned out funny. to be like a stoned out surfer dude, and I <laughs> I did find that really quite funny. Yeah, I enjoyed that. Do you want to talk about Spielberg then? Let's talk about let's talk about Do Spielberg, I? baby. It doesn't work. <laughs> the great Spielberg debate. So, Dave, why do you disagree with Tone? Tone says Spielberg should focus more on the post and that type of more serious movie, but you disagree. Well, I think I disagree because I think if you watch this and then watch the post, you'd be incredibly bored by the end of the post. So, I think like this is really <laughs> you'd have been in the cinema for about five hours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's a slightly different point about running time. Um, but I just think it, I I really enjoy blockbusters. Like I've got no shame about it. I enjoy dramas as well. But I don't think Spielberg handles dramas necessarily as well as he mm. does blockbusters. Now, it's probably fair to say there's kind of like two phases to Spielberg in both blockbusters and dramas. Obviously, the early Spielberg blockbusters where you got your Jaws, E.T., Indiana Jones, Jurassic Park probably ends around hook time. And then your second phase, like Minority Report, AI, onwards. Crystal Skull. Crystal Skull's in that. So the point I was going to make was this is kind of the highlight of that. So maybe it's the start of something new. Mm. Because like BFG was was pretty good and War Horse was pretty good. It felt like he was building up to something. And maybe this is him coming back around to that. Now, I think with the dramas, the first phase was was much better as well. <laughs> Poor Spielberg getting a bit of a bashing it. Um, so basically, he's in a bad trot at the moment. But yeah, he needs to get out of it. And I don't think with making films like The Post, he's necessarily pulling himself out of it. Like the Post feels very safe for a filmmaker of his capabilities. You enjoyed The Post though, didn't you? I, I really enjoyed The Post, but I actually don't... I think a lot of other directors could have made that film just as well, whereas I'm not sure as many directors could have made Ready Player One as well. I think he's got a very good understanding and way with, I don't want to coin this, but like the mani- the magic of cinema, like the magic of like the film coming off the screen, which he did so well with the earlier blockbusters such as Jurassic Park. It had that similar feel to it, this film. Obviously, well, not as good as Jurassic Park, but it still had that like big magic cinematic feel to it, which I think he does so well. Yeah, I feel like if someone told you every single year or every two years Spielberg was going to bring out a massive blockbuster in the mould of Ready Player One, it was going to try and be the biggest film of the year, like that would be really exciting. Whereas when films like Bridge of Spies or The Post or Munich come out, I'm not particularly excited. I go and watch them because they're Steven Spielberg films and I'm like, they're really good films. There's no denying it. Like eight out of ten, you know, seven or eight out of ten films. But I'm not excited about it. I'm not captured by it. And I just wonder if other filmmakers could make those same films. Also as well, like I was thinking the other day, 
Like, how excited would you be if you found out tomorrow that Spielberg was directing the new Star Wars? How good could that be? Except for it might be another, like, George Lucas collaboration in Indiana Jones 4. That's the only mm. one. Yeah, but if <laughs> Lucas isn't involved, if it is purely a Spielberg production directed by etc., like, do you not think that would just be amazing? Yeah. And you'd be, like, so excited by that because it Star Wars has that, like, magic cinema feel and putting a guy in it to do it who understands that, I think would be an amazing combination. Sort of bringing a top manager to a top club. You, can yeah. make, you expect <laughs> yeah. success. I, I, yeah, don't get me wrong. If uh, yeah, if Spielberg releases a film tomorrow, I'm going to go watch it, uh, regardless of what it is, I think, still. And I, I don't... I, yeah, my, my score for Ready Player One, as harsh as it may sound, it just reflects my enjoyment of it. I don't... I, 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 th- I think it's still an impressive thing overall. Impress- there, are, there are good elements in there. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't know. I th- I've, yeah, I feel like Spielberg it, yeah, is not, he's not hitting the heights at the moment. Is he? And he, you know, he is he's getting on a bit. I mean, I, what, what I think I probably, I was most excited about seeing in terms of Ready Player One is that, yeah, that blockbuster feel, that real huge movie, which at the moment, certainly in recent years, has kind of been exclusively, you know, the realm of like Marvel, which I've, you know, I don't know whether we've discussed on this, but, you know, just completely bored of now. Yeah, Marvel and so any superhero. It's nice like to that. have something that's like a standalone blockbuster. You know, it's a standalone story, although the references, but no, like, oh, there, here come, here turns up X, Y, and Z, man. I, yeah, I, I really enjoyed that, like, cinematic blockbuster feeling you get from the film, but I also really enjoyed, I think in recent times, or any other one thing's, being able to do this and that was that like real sense of nostalgia which I got from Stranger Things when I watched it like the whole way through I was watching Stranger Things it suddenly transported me back to being like 14 15 again watching all these really great films Spielberg or, movies well, generally yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I, that's a good feeling like nostalgia is a good feeling and I thought that Ready Player One really did that for me yeah and maybe it would have been more like more well enjoyed perhaps if Stranger Things hadn't come out and already recaptured some of that good feeling towards early Spielberg. Yeah, I think that's right. And I, I, I've given it 5.5 a higher score than than Tane has. And I think there was lots to enjoy in it. I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't hating my experience. I just, I was a bit disappointed because I did really enjoy the book and I, I had reasonably high expectations coming in. And I just think there were, there was maybe a bit too much focus on the references and on the action which it obviously is an action blockbuster but they didn't for me develop enough the characters or the stuff in the real world and as you pointed out Dave like it the, the book is much more about how you know everyone needs to unplug you know stop playing their game boys or whatever and actually like the the in the 2045 of the book the real world is falling apart and you get much more of a an idea of that than we get in the film and it so it, it felt to me like that kind of stuff was toned down and it would seem to be more targeted at that kind of superhero type audience, the twelve year old boy getting in, summer blockbuster. I mean, maybe and, and that, it was a bit less interesting for me because of that. I think maybe we, we need to really celebrate the fact that Spielberg did this film at all and it exists. I mean, just look at sort of the the highest grossing films. You know, just with with uh, Black Panther this year, uh, Marvel became the first franchise. I don't know if it, is Marvel a franchise? I guess it is. Uh, to release five billion dollar grossing films uh, with Black Panther, The Avengers, Iron Man Three, Avengers: Age of Ultron, and Captain America: Civil War, which is just pretty depressing, isn't it? Because 
I don't know. I wouldn't. I wouldn't watch any of those. We just need literally more. if they were the only things we on need, Earth. Yeah, we left. need more new to... films to try and like bash some of that out. I mean, even though I'm a big Jurassic Park fan, like Jurassic World Two is, you know, we're going to talk about it when it comes out, obviously, and I, I will be excited about it. But we just need less of those films, less Transformers Five, less Marvel, and some new ideas, less cash cows. Yeah, but yeah. I mean, what, what, why? What's the? I mean, obviously, what's to stop Marvel doing something new? But they're making they're making billion dollars every film. But what's to stop them actually coming up with a new thing where other characters don't come in? That's why I think a particularly interesting story of late is how well The Greatest Showman has done. Like that has grossed now. That's nearly a billion, isn't it? Is that right? Yeah. So The Greatest Showman, I think, is the best performing film of all time against its initial yeah. opening weekend which was really low. Yeah, and it's and it like it's still in the cinema over here and it's been on for months and they're now doing what like sing along sessions and stuff with it. And it is Is it good? I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it. Um but it's essentially from what I've read a musical. But it's just, <laughs> not- <laughs> just no. <laughs> they're doing sing alongs. <laughs> insight on this podcast. <laughs> You but what, what I'm saying is that it's it's somehow like captured something which audiences have obviously loved, and it's I'd say obviously so different to any other like big high grossing blockbusters. Yeah, it's like yeah. Mamma Mia would be similar, I guess. Yeah, but then that's ten years ago. And so I, I think that's a good point though. I actually recently watched The Greatest Showman. I watched it this week when I was on a, a the plane back from holiday, and all my family were telling me about how great it was, how it was like the best film ever. My mum was like, I don't know why you like, why you enjoyed La La Land so much. Like this is a musical. And I watched it and <laughs> this, this. <laughs> yeah. and, this is a musical. and it is incredibly enjoyable, but it is a terrible film. <laughs> like if you got Ojo in here, Patrick to talk about it, he would absolutely tear it to shreds because it's acted terribly. The story's not held together at all well. Is it Hugh Jackman? Yeah, it's Hugh Jackman. And they just jump between like song to song to song. But it's incredibly fun and it makes you smile. And I can see like the songs are really catchy and I get why everyone really enjoys it. But it's not a very good film and I can see why the critics mauled it on release. But for enjoyment, I'd probably give it like a 7 out of 10. If I was going to actually sit down and properly critique it, I'd give it like a three out of ten. I'm just, I'm loving the image of Dave belting out, <laughs> belting out the On tune, the singing along in 36B or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I said they're very catchy, but I can't think of any to sort of break out into now. So, so what else did you guys get to watch uh, on the plane while? Well, we've uh, both been on holiday. Going transatlantic. Dave and I have both been on transatlantic trips. Tony, I had no idea they'd been on holiday. Did well, you? I hadn't heard about it. No. <laughs> That's strange because I've been putting a lot of photos on Instagram. I'm surprised oh, really? you didn't notice oh, I didn't know. Did, did you notice them? I didn't. I don't remember they follow you, actually. Yeah. <laughs> what did you watch on the plane, Dave? Uh, I watched uh, The Death of Stalin, which I, I, won't, I won't review, but I'll, basically, I'll, I'll tell you the films and what I'd give them out of 10. So I saw The Death of Stalin. That was a 7.5. I saw uh, three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. I'd give that an 8.5. That was really good. Um, That's an all-time high for you on this show, isn't it? I think 8.5. Yeah, I did mention Jurassic Park, a 10 out of 10 earlier, so, <laughs> okay. um, which I went to at Universal Studios, pilgrimage, hashtag. Um, and I also watched, uh, because I had the time, oh no, I watched Coco, that was like a 6.5 out of 10, quite a fun Disney film. And I watched, because I had the time, and it was the fourth film that I watched on a single flight, which is quite a lot, I watched the Justice League movie, which I'm going to give a 3 out of 10 to. It was pretty appalling. 
but um, I didn't fall asleep, so I'll give it a three out of ten. What did you watch? I watched I watched Darkest Hour. Score? Eight. Ooh, solid. I thought it was very good. Yeah, amazing performance from Gary Oldman. And I watched Battle of the Sexes, uh, Steve Carell and Emma Stone, film about tennis, about Billie Jean King. I thought that was very good as well. I'd probably give that 7.5, I guess. That's good, actually. So you enjoy, even though you said you would probably give films a higher rating if you saw them in the cinema, <laughs> That's you watch some films on a terrible little plane screen and absolutely love them. It is, but it's an odd thing, though, isn't it? Because on the one hand, yeah, it's an awful screen. It's like absolutely the opposite of what the films have been designed to be watched on. Uh, but on the other hand, like you've got nothing else to do, so you're actually really focused on it in a way that you might not be if you're watching at home. You uh, you refuse to watch films on planes, don't you, Tane? I yeah, I haven't actually watched a film on a plane for years. What? I tend to, what I tend to do is sit, listen to music, and watch uh, what someone else is watching in like two or three rows ahead, <laughs> uh, and just sort of like take it in. But yeah. I do like doing that, actually, kind of catching what other people are watching on their screen. Because I feel like Why I, are you watching that. Yeah. Well, well I feel like I've seen quite a few films without actually ever <laughs> hearing the dialogue. That's or, really the way they were designed. Yeah, to yeah. Watch. Uh, so, what are we talking about next time, guys? Uh, next time, I think we're talking about the uh, the Guernsey movie, aren't we? Hashtag what's, Guernsey movie. What's the full title, Tony? The Guernsey Literary and Potato Peel Pie Society. Uh, which is obviously, uh, you know, a film of sort of deep interest to us coming from Guernsey. And then coming up from then on, uh, we're going to be discussing the new Avengers film, Infinity War. And That'll be interesting. Boy, I'm looking forward yeah. to that. Adam and Tony can't wait. Um, I'm actually, no, because I genuinely haven't seen a Marvel or Avengers, if, if, yeah, a also, Marvel film for a while, so. I don't think I've been given the opportunity to give a film a really low score on this yet and tear into it, so I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> and then following with that, we'll be uh, discussing uh, Solo, a Star Wars story. Great. And for listeners who are really excited about our Isle of Dogs episode, you'll just have to wait <laughs> until the next time Wes Anderson releases a film and we'll do our Wes Anderson special then, because... Um, it didn't really come to Guernsey, that film. <laughs> well, it did, but this, it was screen times are ridiculous. On every day, it was either one fifteen or four fifteen. It's like, well, how am I meant to go and watch that? We work, so. yeah. Well, I could have gone on the weekend, I suppose, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yes, you could have gone on the weekend. All right, well, thanks for that, everyone. Thanks, Adam. Cheers. We, we got through it, didn't we? Enjoyed that. I brought some pizzas, so we should probably put those in the oven now. This is Ollie logging out. What do they do? <laughs> Taking the visors off.
Hello and welcome. <laughs> just, he's laughing already. Just yeah. Where have I heard that before? <laughs> anyway, carry on. Have you watched those other films yet? Uh, I've watched Annihilation in a conversational way. Yeah, you you said when I saw you on Sunday, you were like, "Yeah, I listened to uh, I listened to the pod you did about Annihilation." I was like, "Oh yeah, you meant." Yeah. Anyway. Um, <laughs> True. Yeah, I think I feel like Avengers is out in April though. I feel like that's Avengers is twenty seven. I'd like it'd be not good to do a review that's positive because I don't think I'll give Avengers a positive review having seen the trailer. Yeah, but some of us might. One of us. I'd like to enjoy one of the films. Well, if if none of you can like it, there's no point. Well, there is. There's almost more point to it because it's usually funnier when we don't like something. This is recording, so that's good. Is it recording? This will definitely Baff will definitely edit that in, won't he? I'll be in the outtake. Actually, recording that. It is recording. Yeah, that's good banter.